the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. The theme we have seen in the book of Numbers is journeying with Jesus, walking side by side with him in all that life would throw our way. God had been preparing the nation of Israel to enter the land promised to their forefathers. The children of Israel had fought and prevailed over the Midianites, being the instruments of God's justice and mercy. Israel was now moving to the border of the land of Canaan, about to move into all God had for them. But we will see two of the twelve tribes wanting to settle in the land that they acquired from the Midianites. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. As we approach the end of Numbers, as they're journeying with the Lord, and we've been journeying with Jesus through the book, we've arrived at the place Moses' final campaign is complete. The Midianites are defeated. Israel will now have no foe behind them when they invade the Promised Land, and everything looks good. But you know, if you're Moses, the Lord has made me an optimist, and the Lord has made me someone who always looks for the bright side of things, but by nature, I'm a pessimist. Like Thomas, Remember, they were saying, Lord, if we go down to Jerusalem, it's bad news. They want to kill you down there. It's news that Lazarus has died. And so Jesus says, we're going down to Jerusalem. And Thomas looks at the guys, and he's a loyal, at least. Pessimist, but he's a loyal pessimist. And he says, guys, let's go down to Jerusalem so we can die with them. And that's just how he looked at things. And that tends to be how I would look at things outside of the Lord. And, and Moses has a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. In 40 years of, of disappointment, you know, they can make a person nervous. And that frustration showed last week when we saw the army bringing back prisoners of war. He's thinking, what are you doing? Well, he has to be thinking to himself, somebody is going to mess this up so bad that we're not going to get going to the promised land again. And so when he sees leaders from two tribes approaching, when they should be taking all these issues to Joshua now, he knows something's up. So chapter 32, verse 1. It says, now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Jezer and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. Well, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, they came and they spoke unto Moses and to Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation. We see that two tribes now come with a special request, leaders from the two tribes, with a special request from Moses and the other leaders. And that quest was born from an idea they have. And we see the idea here in verse 1. It says they had a lot of cattle when they saw that the land of Jazer, uh, Jazer was the plains that were due east of their campsite. They had 
ownership of that land because they conquered the Amorites. They hadn't settled it yet, but they owned it. And then secondly, the land of Gilead, which is the region northeast of their camp. It's the region north and south of the river Jabbok. And that also became theirs when they conquered the Amorites. And so when it says they saw, it means to see and think about what you're looking at. They started doing the numbers, running the numbers in their head. They said, you know, we've got a lot of cattle, and this is a perfect prime property if you have a lot of cattle. And so they thought to themselves, the promised land might be a little cramped for us with all our cattle. And what if we get a bad lot? Remember, nobody knows what part they're getting. It's going to be by lot. What if we end up with a bad lot? This place would be way better. And so they come and they pitch their idea to Moses and the other leaders. And they said to him, verse 3, Adaroth and Dibon and Jezer and Nimrah and Heshbon and Elah and Shebam and Nebo and Baon, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel, it's a land for cattle. And check this out. Your servants have a lot of cattle. Wherefore, they said, if we have found grace in your sight, let this land be given unto us, unto your servants for possession, and don't bring us over the Jordan into the promised land. Their idea is, this makes perfect sense. This is the perfect place for cattle, and we've got lots of cattle. It has to be the Lord. And so they say, if we have found grace in your sight, which basically says, we've come to you asking this because we believe God loves us, we believe you love us, Moses, and that you you both want to do good things in our lives because you love us, and so we figure... What reason is there to not give us this land? That in of itself isn't bad, but it's the end that bothers Moses so much. And bring us not over Jordan. In other words, don't give us a possession in Jordan, which basically means there'll be more land for everyone else there too. It's a win-win. Now, as they're making their pitch, all Moses hears is, we're not going where God told us to go. And he thinks, I've been here before. And he is not happy at all. Look at verse 6. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, those are the two tribes that made the request, shall your brethren go to war and shall you sit here? Yeah, now is where you hear a pin drop, right? His response to their, if well, if you love us and we know you, there's nothing wrong with this, right? How about you give us this land and you don't even have to give us any land on the other side. And Moses is going, oh, how convenient. You're going to bail out before the hardest part. And yet that's not even Moses' biggest concern. Look at verse 7. And wherefore, or why? Why are you discouraging the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord God has given them? Now, what's interesting, that word discouraged there, it's a verb that means that it hasn't happened yet, but it's in the beginning processes of doing so. He's like, we're just talking to us right now. So the whole nation's not discouraged yet, but Moses is looking around, seeing the faces around him, and he's seeing it start to set in. Can you imagine if you're part of the leadership team responsible for making conquest plans? You just lost one-sixth of your army. One-sixth of your army. And Moses sees the reactions on all the other leaders' faces, and he's picturing how the rest of the nation will take this news, and it's a living nightmare because he's already lived it. Look at verse 8. He goes, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to go see the land. For when they went up into the valley of Eshkol and they saw the land, when they came back, he says, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. 
When he said, thus did your fathers, he's saying, this is the exact same thing your forefathers did. What you're doing now is what happened 40 years ago, and how did that end? He tells him, verse 10, and the Lord's anger was kindled the same time when they discouraged the heart of the people. And he swore an oath saying, surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Two exceptions, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. He says, when the people's heart was discouraged, the Lord's anger was kindled, verse 10. And he, just as he made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was good, he made another promise that was not good for them. He made a promise to this generation that says, none of you except these two guys will get to go into the promised land. Now, why couldn't they and why could the two? Because the whole didn't wholly follow the Lord, but two of them did. The word there, to wholly follow, it means to be filled to the top in one's commitment to follow the Lord. That's interesting. You couldn't put any more commitment in their cup. Joshua and Caleb were fully committed to saying, God, you, you take the lead and we'll go wherever you lead us. And the rest of the nation was not there. It wasn't that they weren't saved. It wasn't that they were the worst people on the face of the earth. But they missed out on God's best because they didn't completely trust him. The men of Gad and Reuben, they could have looked around in this very group of leaders, and they pro- I'm sure they saw Joshua there. And I imagine Caleb was probably there too, because when we see him in the book of Joshua, he's something like 300 years old. No, he's not. He's just, you know, he's up there in age. I think he's 80-something at that time. And he, he turns to Joshua, and he's like, Moses promised me a set of land, whatever I chose, because I was faithful to the Lord. And he goes, I want that hill where the giants are. They kept me away. They kept me away from that place. I had to wait for it for 40 years. You know, I just picture him just charging up the hill and all the young guys can't keep up with him. He's like, bring all the giants out. I'm going to take them down. Because he just wholly trusted the Lord. Caleb's there probably too. But you know what? Every other soul from that generation wasn't there. They'd all died in the desert. They had to have known this. See, as Moses is responding to these men, when he looks at them, All he sees are the ghosts of those corpses. Look at verse 14. He says, And behold, you are risen up in your father's place, an increase of sinful men, to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord towards Israel. For if you turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in this desert, and you will destroy this people. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty heavy response from Moses, isn't it? He says to him, behold, he goes, look around you. Don't you see what's happening right now? Don't you see the discouragement in the faces of these leaders? How do you think the rest of the nation's going to take this? You're just like your forefathers. An increase of sinful men. Increase refers to the increase of your family. So it's the same thing that John the Baptist said when the leaders came, brood of vipers. You're just an offspring, a brood of, of sinful men. And by doing this, you're going to augment the Lord's anger. God's anger that kept us out in the wilderness, you're just piling on top of that. You know, you're just heaping it up more and more. 
Because if you turn away from him, you're not going to go in. He's not going to let you guys go in. He would have to apologize to that generation if he did. Now, it's interesting. It only took 10 men to discourage the people from going into the promised land 40 years ago. And these guys, we don't know how many it was, but they were on the way to repeating the process. Now, this is one of the harshest things Moses has said in all of his leadership of Israel. There's time when he enacted harsh punishments, but this is one of the harshest things he said. Now, I don't think he's being a grumpy old man because he's about to die. He doesn't want to fail in his task of getting Israel to the land. And he sees that here we go again. The thing I feared most is about to happen. Now, upon hearing this heavy response from Moses, and they're probably thinking he doesn't like us very much now, if we found grace in your sight, well, I guess we didn't. Upon hearing his response, though, the leaders from these two tribes either A, change their request, or B, clarify their request. We see in verse 16. It says, and they came near unto him. And I love that here because I, I'm inclined to believe that they just clarify the request. I don't think they had an intention of staying out of the war to conquer the promised land. To come closer is a sign of affection, not opposition or pacification. They're not just trying to pacify Moses, nor are they opposed to him. It's a sign of affection. They come closer and say, Moses, you've misunderstood us. I think that's the case. These are good men. I don't think they have any intention of abandoning their brothers. And so they clarify their commitment to help conquer the land. They say, listen, we will build, I mean, to do this task we're asking you, to if you grant us this request, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will go ready, armed before, in front of the children of Israel, until we have brought them unto their place. And our little ones, they will dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return unto our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan, if you grant this request, or forward, anything else the Lord gives. He says, because our inheritance will fall to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. Now, I love that. It's interesting. They didn't make this request to get out of the invasion. They're making this request because they want Moses to delay the invasion. It's going to take time to build fortified cities because they conquered the ones that used to be fortified. It's going to take time to ensure that their families are safe when they go to war in the promised land. Ensuring the fa safety and security of their families will take some time. And that's not ideal for Israel, but their pledge to fight is the strongest possible that could be made. They said, we'll go before that. We'll be on the front lines. You know, we'll be right out there leading the charge. And it's cool because they say, we'll see it through to the end until God has given us all the land that he promised. But even beyond that, he says, we'll go even more forward. You know, whatever God might give us beyond that land, we'll be there for that too. You might be thinking, with such a strong commitment from these guys, Pastor Will, why did you title this sermon, Don't Settle for Second Best? And why, as we continue to read through this passage, does it seem like Moses is still giving him a bit of a hard time? Here's why. Because it is possible to be a Christian, to do a lot of good things, to experience God's blessings, and even achieve some spiritual victories, but still miss out on God's plan for your life. Their request isn't sinful. God promised, actually, that the borders of Abraham's land would include that side of the Jordan, the whole Transjordan area, and beyond it. Israel has actually never experienced possessing all the land that God promised to Abraham. Never. The problem isn't that. The problem is that they decide to settle for the best they could imagine, not the best God wanted to give. 
And that's why Moses is so frustrated. See, they even concede that God might want to do more than just give Israel the promised land where the Canaanites are. But the problem is they're not interested in any of that. And as a result, when we see the history as we go through Judges, and we'll go through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, what we're going to find out is they become almost completely isolated from their other tribes. And they're the first to experience trouble from the nations around them. And that wasn't God's plan for them. God's plan was for the nation to be unified. You look in the book of Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 48, you see that God gives the layout of how he's going to distribute the land to the tribes in the millennial kingdom. And it's fascinating because it includes this area of Moab and Bashan and the land that the Amorites were in, Gilead. It includes all that area. But the tribes that settle it, they settle straight across, not one on one side of the river and a bunch on the other side of the river. They're not isolated at all. They're all in it together. And that means they all have an interest to defend it. They all have an interest to possess it. See, they settled for something that was less because they couldn't picture that God might want to do something incredibly better. See, Ezekiel shows us that what God's plan was to settle the land, and it includes all this area, but it didn't isolate any tribe from their fellows. It's easy for me to do the same thing that these guys did. God wants to stretch me, but I see another route that looks pretty good. It's not evil, but it's not God's best. And so instead of trusting him on the unknown, I settle for what's in front of me. I have seen people do this with marriage. They'll have marital troubles, and you say, why did you, why did you marry this gal? Why did you marry this guy? I didn't think there'd be anybody else out there for me. That's a horrible reason to get married. Horrible. Not just for you, it's horrible for them that you would do that to them. I tell young people, I say, be picky. My daughter in particular, I tell the boys the same thing, but in particular, my daughter, you find somebody that worships the ground you walk on. You find somebody who loves you intensely. You find somebody that chases you. Obviously, somebody who loves Jesus. That's what you're looking for. Not just go, well, you know, the pickings are slim out there. Think I'll settle for this gal, this guy, because you're headed for trouble afterwards. I remember in a very difficult time in the ministry, it was early on in the ministry, I was a GM for a Chick-fil-A, we were very successful, and when the home office would come down, they would you know, always want to talk to me and stuff because they're trying to recruit me. They wanted me to be an operator, and, and I would go up to the home office, and I mean, I, I just had a lot of favor in, with the, the organization. There came a point in time when I started thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this would be a good idea. And so they said, well, you know, Will, if you're a pastor, though, you, you have to kind of make a choice because we look at this as ministry, too. We don't want you to be divided. We want you to be all in. And I thought, well... I can't do that because I know God's called me to be a pastor. You can imagine as the pastoral paycheck was rolling in how that was difficult compared with the Chick-fil-A paycheck, the potential Chick-fil-A paycheck. And there were times when I would sit there and go, Lord, is this really what I'm supposed to do? My kids need something, not need something, want something, but I have to say no because we're on a tight budget. I mean, and you, you know what that's like in your own life. You want to say yes. You want to do all the nice things you know, that you can, but, but you can't sometimes. I remember in particular as things were rough financially, but then rough with people as well. And I said, Lord, are you sure this is what I'm called to do? I don't feel like I'm doing a very good job at it. I said, you know, maybe I'm supposed to you know, run a Chick-fil-A or something. And I remember that night I had a dream. The other thing I'd have to do is I'd have to move from Florida. I'd have to go out west. And I had no interest in doing that. And so I was there out west and I was running a Chick-fil-A and I had a nice big house and my, all my kids had all the things that I had to say no about and everything. And I was, I was somewhat happy as well with all that stuff. But in that dream, I had that sense of knowing that I had also missed God's best for me, that I had settled for something else. And I remember I woke up. I knew what the Lord was trying to say. He's like, Will, 
you can go do that. And I'll love you and I'll still bless you and, and, and it'll be good, but it won't be my best. Can you trust me for my best? I never looked into it again. Never looked into it again because I knew what God's best was, was to do this. And maybe for you, it might be the opposite. Maybe you're thinking about being a pastor and the Lord wants you to do your job or whatever, you know, and that's his best for you then, whatever it might be. But don't settle because you don't know where the other place is leading. Don't settle because the other route is hard. Sometimes we have things in front of us that they're equally good choices. It's not as obvious as one is sinful and the other one's righteous. Sometimes both are good, positive choices. Some, both would glorify God. Both would honor the kingdom. I could do both and, and please the Lord. And yet, God has a, a plan for me that he, he wants that is his best for me. Don't settle for anything else. Now, when Moses hears this side of their request, their clarification, he approves it, but with conditions. Verse 20, And Moses said unto them, If you will do this thing, If you will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Moses says that phrase before the Lord like about eight times in those three verses, and because he's saying... Realize you're doing this not just for my sake. The Lord hears. You'll be guiltless before the Lord. He'll see. The Lord will see. The Lord will know. I mean, he's reminding them, you know, I hope you really mean what you're saying here because if this is your true plan, then I'm okay with that. Now, what I do like about what Moses says, he says, you don't have to be on the front lines. That's not what we're asking here. He says, you know, if you will do this thing, if you will go armed, not before the children of Israel to war, but just before the Lord to war. Just go wherever God places you. Just do the part God assigns to you. And what a great lesson from Moses. What great wisdom from Moses. I don't have to prove my sincerity by taking a bullet for others. I just need to do what God's telling me to do. That's all. Now, if they would do that part, then they would be guiltless. The word there means free from both obligation and any legal accusation. Nobody could ever accuse them of not doing their part, and nobody could say, well, you've broken our standard or you've broken our law. So even though you'll be separated from your fellow tribes, no one can say you've done evil by settling on this side unless you fail to keep your word, verse 23. But (laughs) if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Go ahead and build your cities for your little ones. And the folds for your sheep and do that which is proceeded out of your mouth. But you better make sure you do it to all the way to the end. If you will not do God's part that he had for them, that included a couple of things. It included not slacking off. It included not sending their best soldiers or flat out refusing to go once their cities were built. No, we've got cities now. We're going to go ahead and settle in them. Any of those things would have been unacceptable to the Lord. I find it interesting. People sometimes when they check out, they check out. God wants us to finish what we do well. Whether it's a job change, whether it's you're moving somewhere, God wants you to finish well, not just be focused on the brand new thing that is exciting. But here we see he says, behold to them, which means listen up. And he says to them, if you don't do this, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Yes, they'll have betrayed their fellow tribes, but ultimately they will have rebelled against the Lord. And so even if no one else notices they're slacking off, even if no one else notices they didn't send their best soldiers, the Lord will, and he will hold them responsible. He says, be sure your sin will find you out. 
Now, what does that mean? We say that phrase to people when they're messing around and we're telling them to say, you think you're getting away with it, but you're not going to. And that's kind of what it means. It, the phrase there, be sure, means you will experience your sin. Well, what does that mean? One of the biggest lies that Satan tells us is that we will escape the consequences of sin. But you know what? You and I cannot mock God by believing that. Look over at Galatians chapter 6, 7 and 8. It says, don't be deceived. And you can be assured when the Bible says, don't be deceived, people will be. They'll think, oh no, I'm okay. God is not mocked. You're not going to get away with it. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, things that die, things that rot. Conversely, he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Don't mock God by thinking, well, yeah, he had to deal with others when they sinned, but his grace will cover me. No, it won't. He might give you opportunities in time to repent, but eventually your sin will find you out. You will experience the consequences of your sin. It can be easy to coast through life, to just drift on without any thought of where God would like to move us to, or what new adventures we may be called to. We can settle for the ease of comfort, simply because we are just tired of fighting. Maybe we just want to... Maybe we just want a sense of normalcy. But God never wants us to settle in our walk with Him. He desires the best for us, to be in step with Him as we journey through life. Don't settle for what is easy and within grasp. Let's walk into all that God may have for us as we hold on to His promises and move forward in faith in every situation. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. 